In this morning's show, we're joined by Alex Wong, the director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Very good morning. And by Kay Van Peterson, who is strategic advisor to the HADL Group, who are a crypto hedge fund as well as chief conciliaire and macro investment strategist at Decentral. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you too. Um, so the Chinese market is coming under further pressure after arresting key personnel at major foreign firms, as well as launching a probe into Foxconn. These moves are clearly hurting sentiment. So do you see a way back for foreigners to start looking at the market again? I'll start with you, Alex. Well, I think uh, foreigners will still um, uh, avoid China market. I think they probably would try to reduce their holdings uh, on any strength. Because uh, right now the uh, uncertainties are still quite high, property market remains bad, and then we got the manufacturing sector also bad because uh, uh, foreign buyers actually are de-risking. And with this kind of news, I think uh, uh, many um, foreign-based manufacturers in China probably would still uh, be looking elsewhere to diversify their 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 their, their, their manufacturing base and so try to um, de-risk their, their their operations. So I think uh, overall um, the major driver behind China in the past, like the property and the manufacturing sector, would still be bad. And then we got only the consumption left. But I think uh, the the whole world is um, now discounting a possible recession. Uh, starting from the US, I think uh, that probably would hurt the consumption market as well. So I think uh, overall, uh, China probably would not have many bright spots. And so I think uh, foreign investors actually would still avoid China. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, really not too much to, to add. You know, we, we talked about this, uh, you know, last time I was on a little bit over a month ago. Um, we've been waiting for China to turn it seems to be like forever now, right? Uh, at least three, four years. Um, I think if you're a foreign investor, yes, you can make the argument that, um, you know, so much bad news is priced in, but that doesn't mean that uh, uh, it's not cheap for a reason. So it's just what's the catalyst uh, for this to change? It's clearly uh, a, a government and a regime that is uh, not driven by uh, what investors think or need. Uh, and, you know, even the Foxconn, uh, recent news, even though it's justified, people still kind of go back to seeing the moves that they had into tech and into education, and the name's down about 8% over since Thursday. Uh, so it's just really hard to see, uh, you know, uh, light on the horizon, so to speak. But how much is it that people look at their fundamentals and say, okay, the country's going through a weak patch, everyone talks about the property market, um, but overall, COVID has hit it hard and the post-COVID rebound that people expected hasn't been as strong as what's there. And then how much of it is sentiment driven over the fact that every time it seems that China's kind of flattening out or maybe there's potential positive momentum that could come through, they start making moves like the Foxconn move or arresting people at WPP or, you know, uh, and all these other foreign firms. And how much of that then tells foreign investors, we don't necessarily want to get into this market because there's too much of a risk of some other arrests happening or some other moves just that are of a political nature rather than a fundamental nature. And I'll start with you, Kay, on that one, since you're overseas. Yeah, so, uh, listen, I, I think you, you hit multiple nails on the head, right? It's the whole thing. Uh, you know, different market regimes go through different instances. So they go through instances of where there's a lot more clarity, there's a lot more signal, and then they go through instances, instances of where there's a lot more ambiguity and a lot more noise. And clearly, China uh, has been in a lot of noise over the last kind of few years, right? 
Uh, and that's, of course, affecting uh, the Hong Kong market uh, as, as a whole. You know, we are uh, not quite at year to, to date uh, lows, but, you know, we are we are not too far from them. I think, you know, it's anything from a 10 percent kind of move lower uh, to 15 will we'll, we'll have us touching year to date kind of lows. I think the only place you can kind of hide is if you are, let's say, in kind of blue chip, high cash flow yielding uh, names. And, um, you know, it's a value play at the end of the day. Uh, it's solid businesses. It's not sexy, um, but you know you are you you. If you have to put money to work, that's the only place I put money to work. And otherwise, you just have to sit to wait. I always have this macro framework. You know, depending on what asset class you're looking at, and depending on where you are in the cycle, is there's a time to make money and there's a time not to lose money. And it really seems like now in China, it's been very much kind of you know the the former until we get a clear signal. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, concur. I think uh, right now probably China is uh, it's very difficult to get back investor confidence. So every time they 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 try to stabilize, then then some negatives come out, and then I think uh, the key is uh, uh, to restore people confidence towards the private sector. But I think uh, right now uh, with those kind of news, uh, it is uh, getting more and more difficult. So I think uh, China would remain uh, uh, in the doldrum for quite well some time. Uh, I think the, the the catalyst they need is to restore the confidence towards the private sector because we need to see strength in that sector and also I think China uh, private enterprises probably would employ more people uh, and that is the key thing they work they they need to to see. Okay, um, so let's just move on a little bit from China. Let's talk more about the geopolitical issues that we're facing globally. Um, obviously, there's Israel um, that's playing a key part. There's obviously Russia and Ukraine. Um, and then there's just maybe not wars, but say issues between say U.S. China, uh, India, China, and there's a lot of geopolitical tensions out there. Um, how is that going to play out for the rest of the year, and how, what's what kind of effects that can have on the market? Okay. Yeah, so I just came back from about uh, three weeks out in in the UAE, uh, spent a lot of time in uh, Dubai, uh, Abu Dhabi, as you can imagine. Uh, it's a uh, cross-cultural, very international area of uh, the Gulf uh, with all cultures and ethnicities uh, being represented. And for all intents and purposes, uh, despite the, the recent uh, few weeks, uh, things have actually never been better uh, in the Gulf in the sense of, uh, it's a relative world, but you know, from a historic basis, uh, there's a lot more resolution, there's a lot more partnerships, there's a lot more strategics uh, that are happening, you know, the UE and Israel, things that were not even uh, you know, possible to discuss in a room from just a few years ago. And most recently, we were waiting for, you know, uh, a, a treaty or diplomatic relationships uh, being enhanced between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, so obviously, the recent um, conflict, uh, to put it mildly, uh, if you can even call it that, uh, has once again sent quite a lot of shockwaves in a region that has seen uh, decades uh, of, uh, of pain and bloodshed uh, from all sides. Um, and uh, very frustrating for everyone kind of uh, involved. Uh, and this is, you know, something that I guess, you know, is, is seen thematically in different kind of scopes globally, obviously not to this level, right, um, of uh, women and children, uh, you know, dying uh, on a daily basis like, like, like flies. I think when you look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and you look much deeper, you have to realize things like this, it's a good playbook that nothing is the way it seems. It's not about the last two weeks. It's about what's led to this situation. And it's literally uh, decades of structural uh, neglect, also by you know uh, Western powers who are always very, very quick 
to try and nail China to the cross. Uh, but then when it's not in their interest uh, to, uh, you know, hold other people accountable uh, as what's been happening in kind of Palestine, um, you, you know, it's always interesting to see that, um, uh, I, I guess you could say, uh, you know, hypocrisy, if you will. I think while there may not be any clear solutions in situations like this, what is clear is what was been happening before and the parameters and the processes before are not working. So I think that's also an interesting kind of playbook when you think about China and when you think about geopolitics. We may not know what is the best path forward for things to get better, but we can rightly see that the path we've been taking are not making things better. And, you know, that's that's actually a, a, a clear kind of signal, right, of needing to move towards a consensus on both sides. In the case of, you know, what's been happening uh, between Palestine and, and Israel, it's also on a deeper level what's been happening between, let's say, Hamas on the Palestinian side, which is basically holding Palestinians as well as Israelis hostages from a day-to-day and from a uh, thematic rhetoric perspective. And of course, on the Israeli side, it's it's the right extreme by Zionists, right? And I think this is definitely something you always see, regardless of what regime you're looking at, where there's conflict involved globally. Uh, so those are just some of the kind of, you know, takeaways, um, you know, from my recent trip out there. So Alex, uh, Israel have said that it could take quite a few, it could take a few months, actually, to, you know, eventually end their strikes on Gaza. So how much pressure will that put on the global markets? And what do investors do based on that? I think uh, the, the the major impact is on oil right now. Uh, without this this uh, conflict, I think uh, probably oil would be down quite a lot uh, already. I think uh, this has helped oil to sustain at the current level. And for months, I think uh, that probably would, uh, would stabilize the oil at a relatively high level. Uh, because right now, I think the market is pricing in, is, is already expecting a recession to happen. Uh, so that's why we are seeing um, the bond market to retreat a little bit, and then we are seeing uh, uh, weakness in industrial stocks in the world. I think uh, uh, without this uh, conflict, uh, the oil price actually would, uh, would be much lower than the current level. But um, with this geopolitical uh, issues, I think uh, probably it would help the oil to sustain at that relative high level, and that would hurt the overall market a little bit. Well, as well as oil, you're also seeing safe haven, I guess, money going into gold. I mean, that's now pushing back up towards $2,000 an ounce. Um, and then we've also seen Bitcoin jump a lot. And I personally think Bitcoin's used just for drugs and arms, but that's just my own personal opinion. Um, but in a way, we are seeing that. Like, you know, there is ge- increasing geopolitical conflict. And now we're seeing Bitcoin suddenly rally. And it's now, thir- you know, it's gone up, what? Uh, 40% over the last week or so. So there has been quite a bit, bit of move over there. So how, or 30%. What, what, what are your thoughts in terms of safe haven investment, Alex? I mean, you started on oil. What about the other? Oh, I think uh, Bitcoin probably is uh, on, on safe haven buying and also on institutional institutionalization of Bitcoin uh, because I'll be probably expecting uh, it would uh, get more and more ETF uh, coming uh, in the short term. So I think that is helping uh, the... Um, the overall uh, turnover in Bitcoin and interest from institutions uh, in Bitcoin. So that's, I think, the why the Bitcoin is uh, so bullish right now. And for gold, um, probably it would, um, it would still be okay and, and because of the concern on the um, uh, 
uh, geopolitical situation, and also I think uh, people are concerning about the U.S. government financial positions. I think the uh, weakness in the long bond actually helping go right now, despite uh, the rates actually being higher. So I think uh, gold probably would uh, would remain relatively firm, but uh, gold is quite difficult to go up much higher because of the holding cost. So I think uh, gold probably would uh, would be edging higher, but uh, not as bullish as Bitcoin. Okay, um, your thoughts on the rally in Bitcoin and gold and yeah. oil still yeah, staying so at I the think high from price? A, a general risk on risk off perspective, what, what's been really interesting over the last uh, you know week or so is uh, just this divergence, uh, even over the last kind of few weeks, where you've actually had the crypto market hold up uh, relatively well, um, and uh, you know overnight Bitcoin's up over ten percent. The, from a technical level, we are. It's, this is a, a pretty big break if we can hold it. You know, we're about a year and a half above what has been, you know, a top range of 31k. Uh, we're sitting here at about uh, 33k on a Tuesday kind of Asia morning, and we've been basically between 31k and 15k uh, over the last year and a half. You know, so firmly in bear market territory. So if we can hold these, you know, 33k levels, 32k levels for the next kind of two weeks. That's actually a very, very bullish signal to a space that has just not been able to take off. Now, it seems a lot of the recent news and hypes uh, has really been around Bitcoin and the potential ETFs being launched. Uh, there's about, call it $25 trillion in assets under management from big blue chip tier one institutional assets that are basically looking to have spot Bitcoin ETFs launching over whether it's next few weeks or next few months. It's really a function of when the green light comes from the SEC. And that probably could add, you know, uh, a minimum of 25 to 50 percent to the space. You have to remember uh, that this is an asset class that is total about a trillion. There's 400 million wallets globally. There's a lot of people who are investing a lot of time and a lot of effort into the space. Right? I'm sorry, I've got to cut you off there, Kate, because the we've right? run out of time. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, sorry, we've run out of time. I'd like to thank Alex Wong and Kay Van Peterson for coming in. So thanks, guys.